Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're continuing our coverage of Star Wars Rebels as we dive into Season 2, Episodes 1 and 2, The Siege of Lothal. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some recent casting news for the TV show Ahsoka. We're going to talk about some upcoming stuff in general about Star Wars. All that more after commercial break. We have no control over Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined, as always, for Rebels Discussions by Sarah and Riki Hayashi. Um, how are you folks doing today? Doing good. I'm ready for the new season. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah I, I, you know, I enjoy season one. Season two and three, I think, are some of my absolute favorites. And it just, this episode, these episodes kick it off, like, with such a bang. And it's just, we're diving so much into the issues that I love most. Um, let Let's... I don't know how to talk with these episodes without getting into the, the plot of them, so I'm going to kind of give the, the plot summary pretty quickly. On orders to hunt down the rebels, and especially the Jedi among them, Darth Vader begins an oppressive campaign begins an oppressive campaign against Lothal's populace in order to find the group. The ghost crew starts working with the wider rebel cells, but are divided between joining the larger network and waging open war on the Empire or staying out of a large-scale fight. The situation is even more complicated when Minister Maketh Tua, facing punishment, fearing punishment for failing to neutralize the Lothal rebels, tries to defect them in order to escape Vader, offering to reveal the truth behind why the Emperor wants the planet. However, Vader uses this to advantage and orchestrates Tua's murder by shuttle explosion, framing the rebels for the act and turning Lothal's population against them. The ghost crew tries to flee but are cornered by Vader, who injures Kanan and Sabine and nearly kills Ezra before they finally escape. After being smuggled off-world by Lando Calrissian to escape the Empire, the demoralized crew meets up with Ahsoka's rebel cell, but Vader pursues them and proceeds to wipe out most of the rebel ships, discovering Ahsoka's presence during a mental encounter with the Force. Ahsoka's mind is temporarily overwhelmed in the process. She later joins the Ghost crew as they vow to join the wider rebellion. Uh, yeah, so, oh, and I will say it's not included here, but then at the, the very last scene is... Vader having a, you know, long distance discussion with the Emperor, uh, during which Vader says that the, uh, Anakin's apprentice still lives. And so they decide that she should be captured because she could lead them to more Jedi. And it's, it's a scene that is very intentionally, I think, reminiscent of Vader telling the Emperor that Luke Skywalker lives. So yeah, a lot going on here. We're jumping into a lot of the big issues of the show. We're getting back some, um, you know, major characters with with their original voices. Uh, James Earl Jones is doing uh, the the uh, uh, Darth Vader. Uh, what do you all think of these two episodes? Yeah, like you said, season two starts off with a bang. Like, yeah, we're we're right into the action, and yeah, we get to see. I mean, Vader. Ahsoka, Lando, right? All sorts of familiar faces alongside our our rebel crew. This show is so good. We we watched these two episodes, and then we just kept watching. <laughs> yeah. We watched the next two again, and you know we'll go back and rewatch them for the next episode of this podcast. But that's just like it just it pulls you, you yeah. in, and oh, you yeah. have to keep watching, even though we know what's going to happen. But it, it's still just. The acting, the action, the plot, it's, it's all very good. You know, it's funny. I, I hope that people are watching the show for the first time, in part because we're podcasting about it and they want to follow along. And we have to go at a kind of, you know, reduced pace because we do want to talk about every episode. They're all so good. 
But I'm having real trouble imagining people who are able to go like, okay, we're only going to watch two episodes a week because we want to wait for the, the Star Wars Universe podcast, folks. So um, if you're rushing ahead, don't worry. We're going to try and catch up. So, and my apologies that we did not have an episode last week. Uh, for Americans such as myself, it was Thanksgiving. I wound up cooking two turkeys. I found two different ways to cook them, both of which confirmed that it is just a flavorless bird that should not be <gasps> eaten. But I, I've deeply offended Sarah here. Um, many people liked the turkey I cooked. I just didn't like it. But <laughs> the point being, I'm sorry we couldn't have an episode last week. We are going to try and have episodes as often as we can and really help to keep you caught up. Uh, Riki and Sarah and I, uh, Riki and Sarah and I were just discussing this, and we think we have a way to, even when Book of Boba Fett comes out, we will keep having Rebels episodes coming out, because I certainly don't expect you to, you know, put that on pause for two months. Uh, but either way, I, that's all a long digression to say, yeah, I, I agree. To me, these, these episodes are the heart and soul of why I love this show, because it's, a lot of times prequel type stuff is, you sort of like, it, it it's kind of connected to everything else, but but it's so set apart and you're kind of wondering like, how does this make any sense with, with the rest of the story we're telling here? They're fitting it in so well. They're showing us like, this is the beginning of that rebel Alliance that Luke will join um, a couple of years later in, in the original new hope movie. And we're seeing how Ahsoka and Vader are playing out. Uh, We're just seeing all of it. Yeah. And it's also the missing piece for fans of the original trilogy of getting this menacing Vader. I mean, Vader yeah. was menacing in the, the original trilogy movies, but the action sequences were not, you know, that thrilling from a yeah. swordsmanship standpoint. And here we get, you know, Darth Vader just absolutely going off uh, right. against Kanan and Ezra, both with the lightsaber and the force. And then in his TIE fighter, it, it's just, it's Vader at his best. Yeah, and it's very it's very thrilling. And I think you know, understandably, knowing that the the voice actor they used in um, the prequels and in some other things was not you know understandable, um, but having it be James Earl Jones again is just so good. I think um, the animation, the voice, it it just really feels like Vader to me in a way that like I didn't necessarily get out of. Uh, you know, uh, Revenge of the Sith, or even no, even though it was James Earl Jones's voice, the 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 pun using of Rogue One, uh, this just feels like so much more mm-hmm. like Vader to me. Yeah. Um, oh, good. Oh no, I was just agreeing with you. And okay. similar to Rogue One, too, the the scene where Vader reveals himself to the rebels, mm-hmm. we we get that like long shot of him, and then mm-hmm. his red lightsaber ignites kind of in the dark, and yeah. very similar menace to it. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, you get the feeling that by A New Hope, he's this sort of like, you know, larger than life figure. And, and like getting to see how that all occurred, I think it's just, it's just so nice to get to have happen. Uh, so we'll definitely talk more about Vader, but let's kind of back up a bit and talk first of all about uh, what the Ghost Crew is going through. Because, you know, at the end of the last season, as we talked about, they came into contact with this larger network of rebels. They had the chance now to kind of learn who Fulcrum was, to learn that Ahsoka still out there, to join up with the Rebellion. Uh, as as it is as it is, it's not the full Rebel Alliance that it will become, but there's groups that are working together. And now it seems like they're not all sure. You know, some of them are, are very. Hera definitely is is all aboard. Kanan especially doesn't want to be part of a military. He doesn't want to be part of a group. He just wants to uh, kind of be a Robin Hood. You know, he wants to steal from the Empire and give to the poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about kind of seeing those two sides of this and the Ghost Crew being divided? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense, um, given what we know about Hera and Kanan, that they would sort of be on opposite sides of this argument. I mean, Hera mm-hmm. was always the, the contact point with Fulcrum. So having her being so willing to join up with Phoenix Squadron and like, this is the sort of the hope we were after. Like, we got to fight this big fight. And Kanan's reluctance to join up with former Jedi and like engage in a military operation, especially since like... I mean, he was a kid, but he was still sort of part of the Clone Wars. And that didn't end well for him, right? Yeah. So, yeah, like, his reluctance also makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, we've seen... I mean, in the Bad Batch, we've seen both of their backstories. Right. When they were younger children. And so I think it does make sense, as Sarah said, that Kanan, as a Jedi, you know, his instinct is to hide to hide himself and and to be inconspicuous because the more he reveals himself as a jedi and to have these abilities this is going to happen right like darth vader is going to show up and (laughs) that's bad news they just defeated that first inquisitor and it came so close to dying to that to him Mm -hmm. i also think one of the things that i got out of this is and this i feel like is so appropriate because i think it's it, it happens in so many of these stories and in real life I feel like there's a difference in perspective of, of what their goals are. You know, um, Ahsoka and um, the the rebels, they really believe they can overthrow the Empire. They can restore the Republic. My sense is that until now, that has never been Kanan's goal. Kanan is more seeing this as the Empire is a given, but I can at least like harass them a little bit and make things harder for them and make things easier for the people they're oppressing. Um, and, and I just love seeing that as like these two different perspectives and that he's really wrestling with like to him, the idea of taking on the empire at all is just unfathomable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kanan's definitely just there to like stick it to the man. Whereas mm-hmm. like Hera, who's, I mean, she's been through these sort of political unrests ever since she was a kid, as we saw on Bad Batch, right? Like, right. it makes sense that she, she believes that the empire could be overthrown. I also think that maybe Kanan's not super keen on bringing the republic back right because like the republic again things didn't end great for him there right. well for kanan i don't know that he sees a difference between the republic and the empire mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it was like a continuation of sorts whereas i think Hera does see that it was more of a usurping right. of one one government into another mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, th- I think we forget sometimes that the emperor has been like effective at, you know, telling this lie that um, the Jedi were were rebelling and so they had to be put down. And Kanan doesn't know what actually happened. And um, you know, he may well think that you know the emperor made this all up. He may think that like some idiot Jedi at the top tried something and got in trouble. You know, like he, I, I think it, he, he's so uncertain about it that he's just is like, yeah, I want to wash my hands of it. Whereas. Hera, as, as we learn somewhat in Bad Batch and, and we'll learn in, in later episodes, you know, she's she's the daughter of a person who has been fighting and rebelling ever since the Clone Wars. So they come from very different perspectives. Yeah, for sure. And then, like, we even see some of the other crew voting on... Because, mm-hmm. yeah, they take it to a vote as to whether they should stay with Phoenix Squadron or go back just being by themselves. And, like, uh, Zeb wanting to do the robin hood thing makes sense especially what we know of him from the beginning where he was kind of willing to sacrifice ezra because he's just like well you're not really part of my crew yet i gotta look out for my own um and then ezra 
kind of doing the full turnaround and being like, yeah, we should provide hope to the whole galaxy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, those are, yeah, those other crew members, I mean, Zeb, literally, you know, his race has been wiped out, but, right. but for a few survivors by the Empire. And Mandalore of Sabine, not wiped out, but definitely subjugated under right. the Empire. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're kind of their dignity taken away. So I think they all have good reasons to fight against the Empire and yeah. to want to do more than just harass and steal and make a living on the fringes. Yeah. And I, I just love the way it plays out because I think you're right. It, it makes total sense, you know, that for all of them, this is the first time they're considering being part of this great galactic battle between like what they see as good and what they see as evil. Kanan's been there, done that. Mm-hmm. He did that fight and lost. Yeah. I, yeah. And speaking of others who are now kind of having mixed feelings about the Empire, um, what do you think of Minister Tua? Because she's kind of been a, mostly a background character for this uh, this show so far. But here she, like, she's getting blamed for what happened to uh, on Lothal, the fact that they haven't caught everyone yet. Um, it's made very clear that Vader is kind of now, he's acting on behalf of Tarkin, but he, it's him himself as well are very disappointed with Minister Tua. It seems pretty clear to her that, you know, she's going to be up against the wall and be blamed for all of this. And and so she turns to the rebels and wants to work with them. Yeah, I had forgotten how little we see of Governor Price Mm -hmm. in the early early part of the show because of this, right? Like, Minister Tua has to take the fall. And then after this, we're probably going to get more of Governor Price as the the political figure we ain't getting more of governor Tua, that's for sure yeah um i i think this is where my like goldfish memory really helps me enjoy watching things multiple times because i like mm-hmm. genuinely forgotten what had happened with minister Tua. um and so when she approached them and was like uh-oh i'm afraid please like i want to defect to you guys help me i'll give you this information i was like this is a trap this is a trap that vader has set up she is part of this trap. It's a trappy mm-hmm. trap. <laughs> well, it um, was a trap. I mean, it was a trap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she wasn't a part of it. Well, she except was. Except <laughs> bait. She was the bait. Yeah, yeah. It was a trap set by Vader. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, she ended up paying the ultimate price for it. But I think yeah. she genuinely did want to defect, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. But, but such a Vader slash Tarkin move, mm-hmm. right? To use her as bait and then just sacrifice her and pin the blame on the rebels yeah 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 i I just love how how much it says about the situation that we're having here you know in that first of all just i i think as as you were saying as we as viewers did this the crew of the ghost does not believe her at first either and they really have to argue about are they going to do this and to me that that kind of is very telling of like one of the problems here is that because they know that tarkin and vader and all them can pull things like this there may be others who very genuinely want to defect or want to work with the rebels and are not going to be welcomed with open arms. Um, and the other part of it is that I love, it would be very easy for her to be the character who said, I see the terrible things that the empire is doing. I think they're wrong. I, for idealistic reasons, I'm going to join the rebellion because I love Lothal. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. She's just protecting her own skin, you know? And I, to me, it, it, I've often talked about why I love Rogue One so much in that it kind of gets away from the like everyone who's a rebel is pure and shiny and good and moral and gets to like people join rebellions for all kinds of reasons. Some of them noble, some of them not. And you just 
you go with what you have. And I like that with Minister Tua. You know, she's not joining because it, it's her rebellion. She wants to protect Lothal. She just knows she's going to die if she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Minister Tua is in it for Minister Tua, right? Like, and I mean, you said like they're they're sort of blaming her for not finding the rebels on Lothal. Like, she has been fairly incompetent, like regarding mm-hmm. that. Um, which I mean, like, is good for for us and for our rebels and everything. But I mean. Tarkin slash Vader, I don't think, are wrong necessarily to be blaming her for this in like a, I don't know, like, <laughs> obviously their actions are wrong. They are very evil people. But like, I don't know. I mean, Tua wasn't doing her job. She wasn't, she wasn't getting <clears throat> it done. Yeah. Yeah. It does call into question what her job was. Well, I think like in their eyes, right? It's like, you're our servant basically your job is to do what we tell you to do yeah right and we've we've told you to find these rebels and get rid of them and you haven't like you're not serving lafal you're not lafal's minister you're like our puppet my point is like arguably agent callus is more directly responsible oh sure for the failures to capture the rebels yeah but he's at least like gotten some skin on them yeah, he's he's mm-hmm. been competent in the pursuit, but mm-hmm. he has failed the mission. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's all very true. And I, I, at some point, I really want to do a book club on the Thrawn books that are mm-hmm. taking place simultaneously to this because uh, Tua is a character in those. And Ooh. as is the, like, to some extent, Price is set, not not really setting her up as a fall guy, but there's there's some extent to which Price is, like, Things are getting weird on Lothal. <laughs> I'm going to come up with a reason why I should be on Coruscant working with the Emperor. A, because Lothal's a backwater and Coruscant is like the cool, fun place to be. Mm-hmm. But also I think that there's – it's never quite explicitly said, but there's an element in the books, which are considered canon, that that it, she's kind of putting two in a position where she thinks it's an impossible situation and the blame's going to fall on her. Yeah. So That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But it, it – um. You know, I, I watch these movies and TV shows where, you know, the bad guys just kill anybody who doesn't do exactly the right thing. And you sort of think, like, this has to be not be good for worker retention. <laughs> you know, this is uh, not how to build loyalty among a workforce. Sure. But if, I mean, if it's like anybody who tries to quit gets blown up in a shuttle, I feel like that may, might help you keep your workers around. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. There's not a lot of other good options for them. Right? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Vader. Uh, I think we started to get into it, but let's kind of really dive in now. I, I what, what was it like for you getting to see him now be our kind of primary antagonist, at least for these two episodes? It For me personally, I've read a lot of comic books kind of of this era where Vader does badass stuff. <laughs> so it reminded me a lot of that where he just beats up on some Jedi they managed to knock a walker down onto him or towards him. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and, the, and the rebels are like, all right, now's our chance to escape. And he just shrugs it off, right, with the force yeah. and just tosses a walker aside. And they're like, oh, no. Yeah. And that, that's like, that happens a lot in these comic books where Vader is just impossible to defeat. And I love yeah. it. And I we mean, saw it in um, the video games, too, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, in um, yeah. Fallen Order, yep. where it's like, when Vader shows up, you don't win the fight. You just try to escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it To me, it's really helpful. It, it kind of like, 
it makes even more significant like just how powerful Anakin was and that, you know, that to me, I, I read this great analysis of the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan. I was basically talking about like Anakin is the better fighter, but he defeats himself because of his pride, because of his arrogance. And that Vader is now like all the same skill as Anakin, but with, you know, a little more restraint. Not re- He's still the dark side, but it's now like he's more in control of things. Hmm. Um, and it's not just lashing out and... Uh, making dumb moves with the the high ground and all. <laughs> yeah, um, he's like channeling his hatred and his like fear and all that. Yeah. Exactly, and and even if you haven't read the comics, although I know those are also amazing, just the scene where, you know, he shows up in a single Tie Fighter, you know, and oh, it, it's it's yeah. the the advanced Tie Fighter <laughs> that he flies, the same one he has at the end of um, A New Hope, and literally the the fleet is like, where are the death? Where are the the Star Destroyers? Like. They're getting ready to flee until they see it's just a TIE fighter. It's like, whatever, we're going to take on this TIE fighter. <laughs> yeah. And he just wrecks house. Oh, and yeah. it's just, the animation of it's great. The the tension of it's great. It's such a good scene. And it it really sells to me just how, like, you know, OP Vader really is. Oh, point. yeah. That was my goldfish moments. Because when the rebels escape, Vader's like, prepare my ship. And in my head, in that moment, I was like, you know, thinking his Star Destroyer. (laughs) And then the next thing we see is him in his advanced tie. And I was like, oh, his ship. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Prepare my ship, personally. I'm going to go take care of business. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, like, a great moment that sort of sums up the, like, oh, no, that is Darth Vader's when, like, Mm -hmm. they first, uh, Ezra and Kanan first see him. And Ezra's like, is this another Inquisitor? Like, what's going on? And Kanan's like... Nah, this is something much, much worse. Like, yeah, because I mean, he kind of has the look of an inquisitor, right? Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, oh, so much more. Yeah, yeah, and him going in just with the one tie also reminded me of the Last Jedi, right? Yeah. When um, blah, 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 Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, ben Solo. Kylo Ren, yeah, uh, just goes at the Rebel oh, yeah. fleet in his, I guess, Tie Fighter esque thing. Yeah. yeah, he's his grandfather's grandson. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, and he at least has a little help because then when he can't take the shot to kill his mother, like the the two people coming in behind him do. But you're right; it's very much he's clearly just an amazing pilot. Yeah, and I mean, there's I, some star destroyers not too far behind Vader, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to me, this also it. And here's one of the things I love about a prequel where it doesn't contradict anything that happens later, but it adds more context because. You know, one of the things that happens in the original seek in the original trilogy that you don't really think about much is, in A New Hope, Vader is very hands on. You know, mm-hmm. he's the first one through the breach when they board Leia's ship, and he's the one slaughtering rebel soldiers, and you know, he's the one leading the Tie Fighter attack to defend the Death Star, and then his ship gets knocked out by you know Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, and from that point on. He is now the the general back on the main ship. You know, he's giving the orders, but he's not the one flying the TIE fighter. He's he's fighting Luke, but otherwise he's not the one, you know, leading the charge in the Hoff. He's the last one in. And it, it kind of makes sense, you know, that like, you know, the Emperor might be like or someone might be like, yeah, you know, y- you're not the king of TIE fighting anymore. Like maybe it's time to to come into the admiral's chair or whatever. But also, like, it just adds so much to the frustration he's feeling. You know, in Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. That, like, yeah, he used to be the guy who would be out there actually fighting against the the Millennium Falcon. And now he's not. And it's why the incompetence of everyone around him is just driving him crazy. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and even like I like I like that you say that the, the empire might be like, "Come sit with me, my boy," etc. Because like in that interaction with Vader and the Emperor that we see at the end, where like Vader banishes everybody from the room and like calls the Emperor and then like takes a knee to him, right? I feel like having anybody witness Vader take a knee to someone is like not something that's going to happen right now, right? Yeah. Where like later on, once we get to Empire, it, it's sort of well known that he's like supplicating to the emperor i guess i don't know if that's the right word but like yeah here it just seems like there's no way vader would kneel in front of somebody so he has to like get them all out of the room so he can kneel to the Mm -hmm. emperor i don't know i thought that was neat and then just like uh sheev such a such a mastermind my old friend you're good you're great yeah well especially because and i I wish we knew more about this, but Bad Batch kind of confirmed that, like, they didn't tell people that Palpatine was a Sith Lord. You know, mm-hmm. he was just huh. a, you know, a senator uh, from Naboo who was trying to lead the Republic. He got attacked by the Jedi. Like, there's no indication that he's the one who, who fought off the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's, you know, that Darth Vader is the one who's thought of as this, like, inherent to ancient religion. And so I do kind of wonder, like, does everyone else know that 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 the Emperor is also a Sith Lord and is directly in connection with Vader? Or do you think Vader is just, like, the only one out there right now? Yeah. I think logically, like, that's why he has them clear the room, because they're going to talk Jedi stuff. Mm, sure. Right. Yeah. Sith stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, obviously Kanan knows about the Sith, right? Like, he identifies Vader as a Sith Lord instead of an Inquisitor. But yeah, like, I don't know. I, I, I think that's a good point. Like, I would, I just assume that people didn't think that, like, Palpatine was the Sith Lord, but maybe they do, but probably not, right? At least yeah. not at this point. I think later no, it becomes yeah. more evident. I mean, what happens at the end of Revenge of the Sith is that he claims that the Jedi attacked him mm. and, like, they injured him, which they did, but then, like, he becomes this quote-unquote feeble man, right, right, in the eyes of the people. Okay. Right. He has the scars and the lightning. And, and, and the other thing is that, as we learn, like, the Sith haven't been heard of for a thousand years. Mm. So, like, the Jedi remember, but, like, most people, they probably haven't even heard. They, they, pro- they may well think that the Jedi are the only force users out there. Oh, so. neat. Does any, so, like, Dooku as well never gets revealed? Sorry, and my prequel knowledge is... Basically non-existent, <laughs> but yeah, I, I yeah I don't know I yeah because I think I think like the Jedi figure out that Darth Tyrannus is Count Dooku, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's ever made public. Okay, um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much there that we just don't know. Yeah, Jedi need better PR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what well, and very much tied in then I think to the Vader story, and and we'll get to how she connects to him, but also let's just start with just her. Well, we got Ahsoka at the very end of season one, and I, I think it, it was possible to think that she would just be like she'd pop up for five minutes every season. Here, though, she's a pretty big character. Um, how is it seeing uh, Ahsoka on screen for this much and seeing her in this new role? Yeah, Ahsoka's great. Um, she again, like like we've always said, she's maybe one of the best things to come out of Clone Wars, aside from Hondo Anaka. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, it, it was really nice seeing her in more than just like the, like um, 
Bane Organa kind of role. Like we saw him pop up a couple times as sort of a like touchstone towards the the original trilogy. But yeah, and then also her interactions with Anakin were so so great because like we hadn't like this is pre final season of Clone Wars, so we hadn't really had any sort of closure at this point. But even then, like getting to see, you know, her recognize that Vader is Anakin. And Anakin recognized that Ahsoka's alive, right? Or Vader recognized that Anakin's apprentice is alive. It was just like that moment was kind of heartbreaking, but so powerful. Yeah. To borrow a phrase from a different podcast, I got full body chills when Vader says the apprentice lives. Mm. Yeah. Because the implications of him realizing that and knowing that are monumental for for this series and for both characters yeah and just like the way he says it too right like the james earl jones Mm -hmm. gravitas of that line and speaking of anakin in the third person as well like to the empire kind of to himself even right like he's fully detached from anakin skywalker I think I've mentioned that in the Thrawn books, there's one that's told in part from where Thrawn and Vader are together. It's told in part from his perspective. And, you know, Vader often Vader talks about the Jedi and and there's a real like he does. He doesn't want to even acknowledge to himself Mm. that that used to be him. It's like this. It's this other person who came before him. Um, And yeah, I think I think that that is so well. It's so well connected. And to me also. I don't remember the order. I think this came out before. Actually, I'm fairly certain this show came out before they released that seventh season of mm-hmm. the Clone Wars. But seeing this to me, it just brings back that wonderful scene where Vader, you know, at the very end, finds um, uh, Ahsoka's lightsabers, and like, and he thinks that she is dead. Yeah, and and has whatever feelings he has about that. D- did it also feel to you like it was very intentionally um, mirroring Luke and Vader? Like kind of connecting with like the the flashing of the, the mental connection outside of Bestman City. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and even just like the way that like they're talking about like the apprentice of, An- of Anakin Skywalker, right? Like the son of Anakin Skywalker, like is mirrored mm-hmm. in that language, right? Yeah. And so at the end, there, Kanan, like, uh, Ahsoka asks Kanan about Vader because I think she's starting to suspect who it is, and, and Kanan, of course, has no idea. He doesn't know any of this. Um, but then she asks, uh, he asks her. Do you know? And and you see it just like focus on her face for a while, and she just says no. Is that is she not willing to admit it to herself? Does she know, but she doesn't want to admit it to him? Because all the questions going to ask about her. What what do you think is happening there? Oh, okay. So I think this is a sneaky like. I don't know Darth Vader. I knew Anakin Skywalker. Right. Another mm. like separation of this sort of like duality of this person, right? Like this is not the person I know anymore. This is something new, something that I don't understand. Like it was Anakin and she's not like giving that information to Kanan. I think she knows that it was Anakin, that he was Anakin is maybe still, Mm. but yeah, I think her like, no, I don't know who this person is, is like, yeah, the big, I don't, I don't recognize you anymore. You're not my master. Yeah. I I think it's a bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. I think she felt what she, she recognizes that what she felt felt like Anakin. But she doesn't know how to process that yet because to yeah. her 
she thought that Anakin had died in the Clone Wars. Um, So she, uh, like, literally is questioning her own feelings at this point and probably needs to to go do some meditation. To search her feelings? And or research. Because she knows them to be true. Yeah. Because, like, like, if you thought your friend had died... And then all of a sudden you feel, you know, I don't know how you how it feels to use the force, but if you feel that in the force, he is alive and that he's this terrifying villain. Like how how do you just like, oh yeah, I know who it is. You, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's like I'm saying something similar, right? Where it's like this is a changed being now mm. and I don't know who it is. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm kind of uh like I I I <clears throat> I think you're both making really good points, but I think I'm kind of with Riki and that Sarah, I think I, I don't think she's quite as certain of that. Like, I think it's not because I think you're right. A, a, like everything she knew was that he was dead, mm-hmm. but also like I think she's not ready to accept that he could turn, you know, because she she so looked up to him. She so thought he was her uh, mentor and things like this and that he was so good in so many ways. Um as well as, and again, I'm trying not to bring in too much from the novels and stuff like that, but I, but this one at least is canon. In the Ahsoka novel, one of, one of the things that she's going through in that book is she's coming to terms with the idea that Anakin may that Anakin becomes Vader, and she feels a lot of guilt about that. There's a real sense, like, she feels like she was kind of like this balance. She helped keep him, you know, in balance somewhat, and that she has all this guilt of, if I hadn't left him, would he have not changed? And so I feel like, and I, I'm, I, I don't remember exactly where that comes in the in the chronology. I think they're about the same time, uh, or no, I, I think th- I think that's earlier. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to look it up now. Um, but yeah, I, I think to me it really plays as like she starts to think it's true, but she just some part of her can't admit it to Kanan, in part because like it's you know it's not it technically yeah it's not it's not Anakin. But also because to admit it to him would be to admit it to herself. And mm. I, I just don't think she's ready to do that yet. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know. I just felt like similar vibes of like Darth Vader killed your father, says Obi-Wan, right? Like mm-hmm. these are two different people. But yeah, I get what you're saying in that like <laughs> it's, I think be hard to swallow, right? For sure. Yeah. I don't think she has any reason to conceal that from Kanan. And Ezra, in the same way that Obi-Wan concealed it from Luke. I mean, I think you do. It's like, that person used to be my Jedi master. Hey, Kanan, guy who's already kind of down about the Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like that wouldn't go over well. So there's maybe a reason to not yeah, be that's super also true. forthcoming about it. Especially because, I mean, she didn't leave the Jedi under the best circumstances, mm-hmm. you know, and she has no idea what others, if you know, what others think or what the records are, things like that. Yeah. And then, of course, we do get that last scene with uh, Vader and the Emperor. And to me, I thought that was, again, interesting because, you know, obviously much later we get Vader telling the Emperor about Luke. And at first the Emperor is just like, we'll kill him. And it's Vader who's like, well, but maybe he can be turned, you know, maybe all of this. We don't get that as much here, but I am wondering, do you think Vader is already thinking that he could recruit Ahsoka himself? You know, because it's it's all in this rule of two thing, you know, that like mm-hmm. Vader eventually might have find himself an apprentice and together they would overthrow the Emperor. 
Um, and we know that he has, like, on some levels, all this anger. Like, part of him feels like the Emperor trapped him and, and, and deceived him and stuff. Is he already, on some level, maybe thinking that, like, maybe him and Ahsoka could could take out the Emperor? Or is that just not even where, where he is yet? No, absolutely. Rule of 2.5 <laughs> is always in play. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I don't, like, well, then why does he also mention Kenobi right afterwards? I think this is the, like, clean up the past, get rid of the last vestiges of Anakin Skywalker. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think in his mind, he does think he could possibly turn Ahsoka. Uh, but also, like, if, if she knows where Kenobi is, like, sweet, sweet revenge for yeah. burning him on Mustafar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's that whole, like, you know, you can never truly be strong until you've killed off everyone who ever saw you as weak. You know, I mean, it's a ridiculous idea, but it kind of ties in Sarah what you're saying. Like, he doesn't want people to see him kneel. Like, Kenobi and Ahsoka saw mm-hmm. his weakness, you know, and so they have to either be turned or destroyed. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think that's about all I had for these episodes. Um, a couple of, like, little other things I wanted to bring up, but is there any other kind of um, uh, things for you two that, like, either big or little that you wanted to dive into or mention? Uh, I have a few things. Go so one, I guess, is a little thing. Apparently, there are two versions of that Vader Emperor scene. One uh, recorded with Sam Witwer, who's mm-hmm. kind of a regular on Clone Wars and, and on Rebels. And then the other, which I think is the one that is on Disney Plus now uh, with it Ian is, McDermott. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Ian McDermott being the actor who played um, the Emperor in yeah, the Yeah, live action. Yeah. And, and um, it's kind of cool because they, they did that. When once they cast Ian McDermott as part of uh, Rise of Skywalker, the ninth movie, because oh. they wanted to kind of like reestablish for people like that this this is the mm-hmm. voice. But yeah, you can go on YouTube and find videos of that have both versions, and it's it's very cool to listen to the different takes on Emperor Palpatine and and the spots where there's just like a little bit more gravel in the voice sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's a fun, like small thing. I was low key bummed. It wasn't Tim Curry, but what can yeah, you do? <laughs> Tim Curry who took over the role, uh, in season, what, six ish. Yeah. It's the, a little bit mixed, but yeah. Uh, the, the other thing, which is a little bigger, but I want to talk about is the, uh, captain, is it captain or admiral? June Sato uh, of Phoenix squadron. I think he's, mm-hmm. I think he's an admiral. He's he's leading this rebel cell that the Spectres join up with. And it's just, I personally, for me, it's cool to see a person who is Asian, Japanese coded, you know, mm-hmm. as the name uh, in this command position, voiced by uh, Kiani Young, who is Hawaiian with uh, Japanese and Chinese heritage. Mm. And apparently the name Jun Sato is a combination of uh, two people who were involved in the Godzilla franchise in Japan. Oh, that's awesome. I uh, so that. I guess Dave Filoni is a fan of <laughs> kaiju movies, and he, he took those names and, and combined them to be Jun Sato. So we'll be seeing more of this character, and we'll talk more about him, I think, and his command in the future. Yeah. But I just wanted to kick off with that. Yeah, he's been a fun character, and I... I... I, that's certainly where I thought they were going, but but I hadn't I know the details, especially not about his name. So I love that we're we're getting more of him. And, and yeah, because we talked a lot, especially during Clone Wars, 
that often when they would code characters as supposed to be kind of like representing different, you know, uh, ethnic or nationality groups, you know, here on Earth, it was often done very clumsily and, and, and you know, with, with a good deal of racism often, um, you know, especially in terms of like the accents or being exaggerated or like the way that connected to things that really wouldn't make sense. Um, the, um, the Trade Federation, obviously, the Trade Federation and the Gungans being the most obvious examples, mm -hmm. but there was a bunch in the Clone Wars TV shows that we, we pointed out as well. And yeah, I like that for Sato, it, it isn't, like, it's not connected to him being an alien. It's not connected to anything about a culture. It's just a, like, yeah, you know, like, lots of people on, you know, of the humans come from all sorts of different parts of human culture yeah. in this large galaxy. And so Space Asians would... exist. Space yeah. Asian humans exist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely a cool thing. I also just like that uh, Lano Calrissian gets to have a little bit of a comeback here. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and again, we're just seeing him as, to me, he's very much in the, like, I, no spoilers, but I, uh, I will say I I don't honestly remember if him and Hondo Anaka ever meet. But I really hope that they do either in this or in some other property because, to me, they're very similar in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. They're like, they're not the same character. They have their own differences. You know, Lando is much more of a, like, swashbuckler, whereas Hondo is much more of a, like, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, doing my thing. But, like, I mean, even the, even the similarity of their names I don't think is coincidental, yeah. Lando and Hondo. Yeah, well, I think, like, like Lando's more, like, suave and, like, wants to bone anything that moves, right? right. Whereas, whereas oh Hondo's, like... Welcome, my friends. I might yeah, stab you in the back, but we're gonna have a good time. Let's go. Lando's, Lando's your uncle. You yeah, know, he's not. He's not the seductor, seduc yeah. seducer. But yeah, Lando could be your uncle. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do think it's nice that the character just shows up mm -hmm. for you know a minute or two. With his weird southern droid. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that that it means we get more of this character, and it wasn't just like a one shot guest appearance. Like mm -hmm. it, right. he is woven into the fabric of this show. And I yeah. like sort of as as like a theme overall how Rebels is introducing characters like like Lando, like Ahsoka, like that we know already as these sort of touchstones. Like you're saying, weaving them into the fabric, right? It's not like they're gonna take over. They have some plot moments, right? Like Ahsoka's moments through this story arc were like very powerful but i mean this i don't think i see this branching off as like the ahsoka show right like it's still right. very much about our rebels but it's kind of grounded in this like larger star wars mythos which is really nice to give us those like touch points yeah oh and, and we'll I... be getting more of that next week oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We watched it. <laughs> Speaking of watching ahead. <laughs> to, to me, it just makes the universe feel more lived in. You know, For sure. It doesn't, like, there's some moments in, in the prequel movies, especially, like, the whole existence of R2 and C-3PO, but just with other characters as well, where it's like, it just feels like they're trying to be like, you know, it's like the amusement park ride. Oh, look, and that's, here's this mm -hmm. character. Londo just feels like he's, in a, like you said, it's a natural part of the world. Yeah, yeah. it has to make sense. Yeah. With yeah. R2 and 3PO, especially the way 3PO is first introduced is being made by Anakin on Tatooine. Yeah. It's yeah. like, why is he here? Other than <laughs> yeah. to like have this weird origin story. Yeah. Whereas Lando being on Lothal to make a buck mining, that, that's Lando. This makes sense. Yeah, like to me, the the other thing I think of in, in terms of like the way where it goes wrong is that like you can't just have there be new Wookiee characters who are working with Yoda 
on, you know, Kashyyyk. It has to be Chewbacca, who somehow goes from being like one of the military leaders on Kashyyyk to oh. a smuggler who gets rescued by Han Solo. Yeah, like, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Lando, it doesn't feel like that. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So somehow I, I think, forgets. Yeah. Forgets I, I about Jedi a, and the Force. Yeah. I, I think that's a good place to wrap up and then go into the uh, spoiler section where we're going to discuss some casting news. So I think now's a good time. We're going to probably move into the spoiler section where we're going to talk about some casting news and, and uh, things like that. And it's about the Ahsoka show, but it's obviously very relevant to the characters in this and sort of where they wind up. Um, so if you haven't seen the rest of the show and you've been able to avoid that news, um, good on you. I've been avoiding spoilers left and right. I'm going <laughs> to uh, I managed to go into the Eternals and Hawkeye without having seen a single trailer for anything. Ooh. So yay for people avoiding spoilers. Uh, but if you're Taking off now, as always, thank you so much. Uh, you can find uh, how to contact me and, 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 and Ricky and Sarah if you want to talk to us more uh, on theethicalpanda.com. That has all the contact information. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear your thoughts. It's a great way to kind of join the conversation and keep it going. Um, and so to all of you, thank you so much. And now we're going to go into a spoiler section in three, two, one. Sabine Wren is back and will be in the Ahsoka TV show. Yay, Sabine! Oh boy, okay. She's great. <laughs> yeah, let's talk and about again, the casting. Goldfish brain. I entirely forget what happens to her at the end of Rebels. Well, spoilers. We'll talk about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, Sabine, is going to be played by Natasha Liu Bordizo, who is an Australian actress uh, of Chinese descent, mm-hmm. and. She is on a Netflix show called Society, which I know nothing about, but she was also on an adaptation TV show of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, oh, uh, the martial cool. arts movie from like 25 years ago, I guess. No. <laughs> I know I'm old. Um, so I, I think that makes a little bit of sense that they cast her, uh, you know, Presumably, she has some some martial arts background and some stunt work background, so she'll be able to do some of these acrobatic some of them on her own, right? right. Without a stunt double. Um, but there is, I, I don't want to say controversy, but and for me personally too, like I, I I guess I'm a little upset that the voice actress from Rebels, Tia Sirkar, uh, didn't get this role, and mm-hmm. there's some you know like. Why not have the the voice carry over to it? But there's also the um, the racial aspect of it, where Tia is um, Indian, and then like I said, Natasha is Chinese. So there's like there's been some questions of, well, what what race is Sabine? Right, like Mandalorian. Right. But as we were talking about with Sato, like he is clearly space Japanese, like based <laughs> on his name and, yeah. and accent. So there's been some question of, well, like, what what human equivalent, Earth equivalent race is Sabine? And given that she was played by a, an Indian actress, and I guess, you know, spoilers, her parents mm-hmm. on this show, uh, her relatives are also were played by Indian actor, actors and actresses, that seems to establish something. And, and so legitimately, there were some questions of, like, well, why have you know, this Chinese Australian person. And, and that goes to also like just the topic of, you know, not, not necessarily whitewashing in this case, but I guess like 
Asian washing that mm-hmm. that a lot of southern asian people get upset when asian just means eastern asian you know japanese korean chinese right and so uh, this this adds to that conversation yeah i i think i think it's really interesting and for me i i've re- i've been reading about this until then i i will admit i had no idea about the act the the background of the actors and when i first saw who was playing her and that she was more uh uh, Australian, but with kind of East Asian heritage, without knowing that about the voice actors, to me, that actually made a lot of sense because the way Sabine is played, um, it, to me, she comes off like an anime teenager. You know, not, not necessarily like that she's an anime character, but that she's like the the stereotype of the like, of the like kind of anime fan look, uh, particularly in her art style and things like that. And so I just, even though I don't think there's anything about the way the character looks, that reads East Asian. I had thought of her in those terms because of just her, her hairstyle and her demeanor and, and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, then realizing that what was happening with the actors, it, it just, it, 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 it's such a multi-layered conversation, you know, and I'm, I, I really appreciate the way you framed it because I feel like, yeah, I, I, for me, especially as a white person, it's one where I think like my voice is not going to be as, as relevant anyway, but like, I don't, um, I want to just keep reading what more people have to say about it, you know, because I feel like I, I can understand a lot of different perspectives on this and, and understand that it's a, we're diving into a lot of layers of complexity that just haven't been talked about before. And it's really good that they're getting talked about. Yeah. And I think it opens the door for right. a lot of discussion about other, you know, voice actors and actresses who are currently doing animated, yeah. you know, Star Wars stuff and like questions of what happens when it becomes live action, because we didn't, we didn't really get any Right. I didn't see any discussion or questions about the casting of Rosario Dawson, right, um, right. for Ahsoka. I mean, right. there were questions, but not in terms of, like, why not Ashley Eckstein, right. hmm. the, the voice actress for Ahsoka on, on these animated shows. And then, um, oh gosh, Starbuck is not her for realsies name. That's the character <laughs> she played oh, in Battle uh, Katie Sackhoff. Katie Sackhoff, thank you. Um, yeah, playing the Mandalorian girl. This is Bo- really bad. Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah, Goldfish And Ray. that was one where the, the way the character was drawn in the cartoons maybe seemed to have been inspired by the actress herself. Yeah. So but there, it, was yeah. More, there was more clear continuity of look. I don't know. I yeah. I guess I don't know. I I didn't love her casting because she didn't feel like she felt felt like the appropriate age in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, then I guess like there's lots of weird like why yeah. is um, Obi Wan Kenobi mm-hmm. aging so rapidly on Tatooine <laughs> sort of situations going on in, in the Star Wars universe? So, I, eh. but but nowadays, like in video games, especially mm. the the way that the character is portrayed in the video game is just like, it looks like the voice actor a lot of the time. Yeah. So I, I, I hope true. that maybe like star Wars starts doing that more often so that mm-hmm. if they want to portray them in some live action setting, they can just have the continuity of the same voice. Yeah. Right. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Although there's a couple things I want to say there. Um, one is not to reopen old conversations, but I, I do think it's interesting that here, we're so focused on like it would be better if we just went with a voice actor where a big part of my like don't use Hayden Christensen argument is the give Matt La- give Matt Lanter the part. You know, the voice actor from Clone Wars who I think did 
just in terms of pure screen time, played Anakin for a lot longer than than Hayden. So I, I just want to poke y'all a little bit about that one. Um, but granted, there was a live action actor before. But more seriously, um, what I I don't know anything about these these professions, and so I think it's. Uh, but I want to just point out. Um, I really love the idea of trying more and more to give voice actors the, the live action roles. I know I read one piece by um, someone who'd been a voice actor on. Um, I, 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 let me see if I can Google it and find the article and, and share it again. But but basically they were talking about like he was saying, look, I'm a voice actor. I'm really good at standing in front of a microphone. I haven't physically acted with my body since grade school. Uh, and, and, and it's kind of saying like, you know, some voice actors can also be live action actors, but not all of us. And sure. know, some of us wouldn't want to be. And so I, I do think that that I do sometimes wonder if there is if there have been cases where people like maybe their first their first thought is to go to the voice actor. And then it's like, OK, you're a great voice, but just on stage, this just on screen. This just doesn't look the part. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, it's to me, it's it's I, I like that we're doing it more, but I wish we were. Doing, doing a lot more often and i love what you're saying about the the look of it yeah i, mean, I, I just want to point out that i am not team voice actors b mm. and i was against katie sackoff not that i've got anything wrong okay. that's fair. but like that's um fair. yeah i mean i get what you're saying especially with the whole like like katie sackoff was a live action actor whom they put in the role of bo because it's like sci-fi stuff right? right so she's familiar with live action acting whereas mm-hmm. like you were saying most voice I don't know. I don't know how voice acting works. Clearly, like, Tim Curry is doing voice acting as well. And, like, Mark Hamill, there's some crossover. But, yeah, just because you're a good voice actor does not necessarily mean you were a good yeah. live-action actor or you have any desire to be a live-action actor. Sure. I, but I, I will point out that in this case, Tia Sirkar it has done live-action. Okay. She was on The Good Place. She's in um, Supergirl. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I know who she is now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool, cool, she cool. was Vicky, I yes, believe, Vicky, yeah. on The Good Place. The demon, yeah. Um, so there, but there could, I, I do acknowledge that there could be more of an action burden, as I said, for this show, yeah. right? And that maybe they wanted someone with more of an action background, which Natasha does have. But yeah, I mean, I, I get the like impetus of like, why not just stick with an Indian actress then? Because like, clearly Indian actresses who can do stunts exist, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And to me, if we're going to talk about kind of like the the, the way racial line crossing happens in, in good or bad ways in terms of voice actor to the way it's presented. I, I think it's also worth mentioning. I, th- I think we mentioned this before, but bring it up again, agent Callis mm-hmm. who yeah. is presented as white played by David o- Oyelowo. Oyelowo. Uh, how's it pronounced? Oyelowo. Oyelowo. Uh, who, who is, who is black. Um, and in that case, my understanding is that, um, cause this, I looked into, they had like, been drawing the character for some time like with a lot of rebels they started doing all the like initial mm. uh art artistry and 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 drawing things and 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 storyboarding stuff out and animating some stuff before they started trying to cast actors and this was a case where they were like well yeah anyone of any race we, are, we already know what the character's gonna look like but any voice can fit mm-hmm. um and i think that that could also get into conversations of like well then once he was cast should they have changed the character or is that actually a like yeah let's let's get away from the idea of like if they're white on, if the white animation, does it have to be a white actor, voice actor, you know? Um, and obviously this is when it, when it's South Asian versus East Asian, very, very different. Um, but it just, it's to me, it's one more interesting thing. That, it's an interesting part of the conversation to remember that this issue already is happening in Rebels to some extent. Yeah. And like, I think we, t- we talked about that. I don't know if it was on the podcast, but Riki and I had about like how, you know, the voice actor for Asian Callus 
probably will not be playing Agent Callus in any sort of live action adaptation. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Right. But also, like, I don't know. I also really get the, like, coding all of the Empire as the, like, white, blonde, blue-eyed, like, mm-hmm. Aryan race sort of thing to, like, hammer home that sort of, hey, they're the Nazis. Right. Right? Yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to think, do we have any non-white Imperials who play major? I mean, we do in Mandalorian um, with mm-hmm. uh, Moth Gideon. Um uh, Giancarlo but Esposito? Is that who it is? Yeah. 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 But I don't think we have any. I think all of the yeah. Imperial figures we see are white. At least the, 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 the admirals and generals mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's not until the postquel First Order that you start to see. I think there was an Asian person on the bridge of the, the Dreadnought and also women in the First Order. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Uh, just to kind of also pull the conversation around all the way, um, did you all pick before you knew about who the actress was, or maybe that you, you just looked it up immediately? But I'm wondering, did Sabine Wren ever read to you as somewhat um, East Asian coded, um, or was that just something I'm picking up? Um, I I I thought sort of South Asian ish, just because she's got like her skin tone. Um, I'm not. I'm not. Hel- I'm not. I'm not super familiar with anime, so. Um, I don't. I don't think I picked up on like the anime tones that you're mm-hmm. talking about, Matthew. But like that's probably just because I don't like. I know Sailor Moon, and that's kind of like full stop my anime knowledge. Yeah. Right. Um. But yeah, I. I don't know. I guess I also never really thought about it extraordinarily hard. <laughs> <laughs> Which. Eh. So for me, I like. I mean, skin tone in a in an animated cartoon, right? Like, how do you compare stuff? Yeah. Like The Simpsons, right? <laughs> Sure. Um, but but she to me she always seemed a little darker skin tone than East Asian, and I probably would have mm. said Southeast, like you know, like Vietnamese or something like that. Mm, that's fair. Yeah, not necessarily Indian. That's yeah. kind of yeah. But I mean, it's so hard to like think back to like did I what I actually thought before I knew stuff. I don't know. Does that make sense? No. Yeah. No. Totally. I think it's it's uh, it's it's hard to remember that stuff, and I think for me. I mean, it was probably, I just, I I was not much of an anime person or a video game person. And I had just um, been, you know, uh, watching my partner play a number of Final Fantasy video games. And I think I saw Sabine and um, uh, her first comment was like, oh, she, that that's Final Fantasy hair. She has, you know, and so that's probably also like, where yes, I was coming from. With sure. That. That, I mean, that makes um, total sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, I, th- I think this is going to be a wider conversation we're going to see more of. Um you know, on my Superhero Ethics podcast, we just did uh, uh, we did one episode and another one that will be coming out soon about the live action of Cowboy Bebop, where this, it was another instance of this happening and where, um, you know, uh, the character of Jet is animated as uh, a lot more light skinned than the, the, it's a black actor who plays him in the mm-hmm. show uh, live action. And I know that's caused a lot of um, uh, upsetness from, from various circles. Mm-hmm. Also, there's people who are upset about like Faze having an actual gravity uh, working outfit, and that's a whole other thing entirely. Um, I I quite like the live action of Cowboy Bebop. I know a lot of people did not, but I am yeah, sadly it's, it's, unfamiliar with Cowboy Bebop, but I've heard it's something that I should watch. Huh. Yeah, fair, fair. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be. I, I'm glad we're talking about it because I think, particularly if Cowboy Bebop is successful, I think we're going to see a lot more animated things coming to live action, not just in Star Wars. And mm-hmm. I think that these questions are going to be coming up a lot more of. 
how much do you honor the voice actor? How much do you honor the look of the voice actor and, and things like that? Mm -hmm. So do we want to talk about plot wise like where sabine wren will be yeah we haven't actually gotten into the in the future part, but... so can, can i like goldfish brain what i remember <laughs> yeah okay she like goes to mandalore and meets her family and gets the weird dark saber and then she takes it to a temple and there's something about a temple with like the past and present jedi folk who you hate so much riki um and then is she like queen of mandalore do they have a queen that's that's what I remember. That's my like vague recollection of I definitely watched this show once. She does she does get the dark saber mm -hmm. and she does help liberate Mandalore. Okay. But then she gives up. Well, you're we, we established that you're not supposed to give up the dark saber. But somehow the dark saber goes to Bogotan. And Bogotan becomes the ruler of Mandalore. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Right. Um, and then yeah, at the end of the series, when Ezra disappears with Thrawn and the space whales, yes, she she then goes on a mission to try to find him. Okay, yeah. with Ahsoka, right? Yeah, and and to me, that's I, I, there's two things I think about this. One is it tells me that you know the last season of Mandalorian ended with the Mandalorian and Bo-Katan like having a lot of tension about who has the the dark saber and why mm. and, and so for I, I think there's no way you bring sabine back without her playing some kind of a role in that story unfolding but the other thing is mm. it I, I think there's been a lot of uh curiosity and wonder uh, like a lot of talk about thrawn i i think it is official that thrawn is is coming back but it's been so like unsure um and to me if sabine especially is being cast in the show what that tells me is that like some people have been like, oh, okay, so Ahsoka is basically going to be Rebels season five, um, mm. and I just I am I'm really here for that. I'm here to like, if we're going to get some flashbacks of Sabine and Ahsoka, like what have they been doing for the last twenty years? You know, if it's going to be like, does this mean we're getting Ezra back? Does it mean we're getting you yeah. know Thrawn? Like all this stuff. Honestly, like when in when we had the like Luke Skywalker moment in Mandalorian, I thought it was going to be like Ezra coming back yeah. and that was going to be it but then it's like clearly not nobody would <laughs> no like, most people would this? not know this yeah um but yeah i mean i like speaking of the like ahsoka moments we get here i love the ahsoka moments we get later with her and and anakin slash vader as rebels progresses oh, and yeah like totally agree matthew i am here for rebels season six is that what it's gonna be season five five there are okay. four seasons of rebels, there's only yeah. four seasons of rebels that's so sad yeah, I so I disagree, Matthew, that Sabine will be involved in the politicking on of the, of the Mandalorian stuff, mm. because I think being she is cast for Ahsoka, and what we saw of her was she was looking for Thrawn, you know, presumably because finding mm -hmm. Thrawn means finding Ezra, mm -hmm. but also just if Thrawn is around, he's trouble, so you got to stop right. him. <laughs> so I think. It will probably be some kind of team up of Ahsoka and Sabine versus Thrawn trying to mm -hmm. find Ezra. I, I, th I think that's probably the case. But m the sense that I get, and I think I've read a couple things that, that, that confirm this, is that kind of what they're going for is something kind of equivalent to what DC did, uh, what the CW Arrowverse 
where you have Ugh. a number of different shows that mostly have their own <laughs> stuff. Not as much the high school drama and everybody has to wear $500 gowns and 80-inch high heels. Because um, I love those shows, but the first two seasons, like, that's all Oof, any yeah. one character is ever allowed to wear. Yeah. Um, but that, but just in that, like, all those stories are clearly happening in a connected universe. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, like, when there's a big deal, someone from one, one universe would come over to – one show would come over to the other. Or, like, the um, – the, the Netflix MCU did that to some extent. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a major plot point, but I think Sabine might well... Either Sabine will show up in an episode of Mandalorian or Bo-Katan will show up in an episode of this. Like, there'll be some way in which their their paths overlap for a little bit. Cool. And speaking of voice actors transitioning <laughs> into live action... Mads Mikkelsen? Well, Lars. Oh, his brother. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Lars Mikkelsen, who portrays Thrawn on this show later on absolutely absolutely has to come back come on yeah just paint paint him blue give him the right contacts done we we know that he's a great physical actor we've Mm -hmm. seen him on screen many times i i my my guess is the only way he doesn't come back is if the actor doesn't want to yeah true Um, yeah and like like, i mean i i haven't had this chance but like my understanding is like sitting in a makeup chair for three hours being painted blue every day is not workplace conditions a lot of people are excited to sign yeah, up for. That's like, fair. I, to which case, they'd be like, fine, that he's not blue. I don't care. Just get him back. Yeah. But he's so, so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that would be... That, okay, I would revoke my voice actors as characters. <laughs> is that easy? That. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's also, like, I don't know. Like, he's done the, like, stoic villain thing to a T before and mm-hmm. just like bringing it over here. Yeah, even though like that season of Sherlock was rough. But yeah, um, no, I, and I think, yeah, ah, Thrawn's great. I love that we get to see more of Thrawn later. So Sarah, how yeah. would you feel if uh, they brought back the character of Kanan Jarrus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. portrayed by Freddie Prince Jr.? Yeah, fine. I don't right. know, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. See, Freddie Prince Jr., I don't know. I don't know fine i guess is how it would feel in a in not in a like oh i'm fine but like fine all right you heard it dave filoni make it happen <laughs> yeah. we'll see we we, we we will definitely see i trust in um, the filoni yeah the filoni yeah. is with me mm-hmm. yeah i so i think that's about all i had for uh the sabine news um obviously book of boba fett is coming up soon we're gonna be excited about that we'll definitely be covering it on this show i think we're gonna find a way to do both coverage of that and of rebels um I want to do the Thrawn book club coming up soon because uh, that obviously is those books are going to be so relevant to so much what we're going on. Um, maybe if I send you two a copy of the books for Christmas, I can twist your arm into reading them. Twist our rubber <laughs> arms. Yeah. Yeah. Just go to the um, library. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're very good books that will somewhat break your brain okay. because most of the protagonists are decent people who are in the Imperial Navy. Oh, dear. And 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 like that's such a Timothy Zahn thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, it's starting it. from Thrawn himself, right, right? Was portrayed as the anti-Vader. Like, I'm not right. just gonna kill people. Like, I value my subordinates. Type thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is a change. But okay, but he does kill someone in the Air of the Empire novels. But yeah, yeah. He, even in this, he's more. He he has a clear goal as to why he thinks the Empire needs to be strong. But but um, then especially Captain Pelion was like the most honorable Imperial and ends up yeah. becoming like the 
galactic president or something after reunification or something oh, like Oh, in the in the in the legends canon? Yeah, I think that's yeah. true. I'm not I don't know the details. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so Zahn loves this, which <laughs> I I enjoyed their the characters and their portrayal, but these days I am less into like make honorable imperials because like yeah. you just need them to be the bad bad folks. The, are we the baddies? <laughs> yeah. We just want some clear cut good and evil. Yeah. I can see that. That's fair. Yeah, and, and this it's not as much being honorable as much as being like it, it's the story of people who are in an institution that they believe in as the leadership of that institution turns worse and worse and worse. And like yeah, it, it it's done in a way where it's not like these are like pure heroes. Like I think you're supposed to be judgmental of them that they're not their eyes aren't more open to what the terrible things that are happening. They're just kind of um, going down with the ship sort of situation. Yeah. Okay. But, 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 but it's just like they're more relatable than just like, you know, slaughter them all with their helmets on. Yeah. But yeah. I, well, all the more reason why I want you all to read the books and Rad. love to get your perspective yeah. on it. But we'll, we'll see where that goes with the, the new season. So any other last thoughts on Sabine or any of the rest of it? I mean, so many more, but we, we, we have to stop talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, thank you, everybody. As I said, um, you can find all the stuff that I do at The Ethical Panda at uh, theethicalpanda.com. Email me, theethicalpanda at gmail.com. Look for The Ethical Panda on all the other sites. That's a good way to find us. Um, uh, I'm also now starting to do – I'm one of the producers and, and guest hosts for coverage of the TV show Hawkeye. Um, speaking of the CW Arrowverse, as it's now appearing on um, uh, the MCU, uh, I am totally in love with this show. It is the closest thing I've seen the MCU do to a Netflix show, to the Netflix MCU mm. since those shows. So I uh, highly recommend it. Check that out on the MCU cast. Uh, Sarah and uh, Riki, where can people find what you're doing? Well, this is all post-spoiler talk. Everyone's already left. Everyone's <laughs> already left. <laughs> but yeah. if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Wikipedia Go. Uh, if you want to find my very empty Etsy shop, it's uh, Etsy slash shop slash Hayashi Ceramics. Um, I keep saying there might be more things there for Christmas, and then life keeps happening, but I don't know. Maybe. I didn't, you know, I, didn't say I'm, what year Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Christmas I was 2025. Keep, I was going to keep hawking your stuff as the like, hey, you're having supply chain problems here. This That's not going to happen. But yeah, if you know. Yeah, I'm, you, like, I'm selling in some like IRL Christmas markets, and once those are done... Okay. Then Etsy gets my, my, oh, I have to deal with the post office. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, <laughs> as always, thank you both so much. This is a lot of fun. Um, to our fans, thank you so much, and have a great day. Bye.